How are you all? This is the kind of message that every pastor longs for. This is, this is where you get into the Word of God and we're kind of going through the, the very essence of knowing the will of God. We kind of jumped off of Ephesians chapter 5. And by the way, I might add, starting this year, the year 2010, must be a theme of marriage here. Um, because we're going to be talking about this in Ephesians in a couple of weeks when we get through this knowing God's will. But we've come to a place that any pastor worth his weight and salt wants to just get into. Because this is the kind of the, uh, uh, the finishing touch of how do we know the will of God. I said to you three weeks ago, I believe it was two or three, that when you walked out of here, you're going to know what God's will is for you in your life. Well, I will try to fulfill that promise, not myself this morning, but I want the Word of God to fulfill that promise within your lives today. We have taken a look. If you turn with me, let's, let's, let's take a look where this all started. We're just kind of uh, binding our own business, you know, just going through the book of Ephesians, and, and all of a sudden we come to the fifth chapter, and Paul writes that... Don't be foolish. In the 17th verse of of Ephesians chapter uh, 5, he says, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And and it it jumped out at me on those pages. I, I wonder, so many people ask, I just don't know what God's will is for me. If I knew, it would really make a better path in my life. And I agree with that. I, it was, a, it was an, a defining moment in my life when I feel like I understand this place in Scripture, and I felt like I understood where, where and what God wanted to do with my life as, a, as, as just a Christian. And this is, this is where it's all taken me, and it's just been such a blessing. Uh, in your bulletins, you're going to find this flyer, and the flyer is going to give you the outline of what we are going to go through today. Not all of the verses, I was uh, informed, and, and, uh, and it was my fault, uh, not all the verses are going to be up on the board. As you can see, there are just three. But uh, in your bulletin, we have all of these, and I, I, you'll want to turn to them as we go through this message today. I really hope, I really pray that you would find it in your schedule to make it to the HBF kickoff uh, event Monday night, tomorrow night at 630 I mean, there's going to be pizza served, so that's one reason to be there for sure. But you'll be also on the ground floor of starting off the God book, Old Testament study. And it is just a great time. And as we found out last week, if you were here at all, you realized the importance that we need to saturate ourselves with the Word of God. We need to understand what God is trying to say to us so that we we can know as we go to this study, what is God's will for me without understanding and and, and being a spirit-filled person, saturated with the Word of God? The the things of God will will be vague to you at best. They'll be cloudy. You won't really see all that you should see. It's why we we, we beg of you, please, get involved in a small group. Get involved in HBF. Get involved in, in, in the God book study. Get involved with the members of this church. This, what we do here on Sunday isn't really the very essence of church. It, it is a part, and it is an important part. I'm, I'm not playing that down at all. But if this is the only feeding of the Word of God that you get during the week, then you've really missed the boat. 
It'd be like us trying to live our lives without without eating a meal. You know, just eat on Sundays and make it to the next Sunday without a a, a, a meal. You know, we can't do that. Some of us eat a little bit too much. I'll give you that one. <laughs> but we need to we need to eat during the week to keep up our strength. So you need, and I need, the Word of God, the bread of life, so that we might understand what God is trying to say to us uh, in our lives. And so we beg of you to be a part of uh, this HBF uh, event tomorrow night. It's, it's, it's going to be fellowship. And it, it's not for um, any particular group. It's not for just the marrieds. It's not for just the singles. It's for the church so that we can minister to one another. Whatever age you might be, it's for those of us who are older as well as the younger people. In fact, it's a great place to go for those of us who are older to meet some of the wonderful, gifted, talented, blessed young people that we have here in this church. I want, I want, I want you so much to get to know those that are younger than you and see how much God is doing in and through their lives. It is really a blessing here at this church. Grab this, hold it in your lap as well as your Bible. And let's, let's review just what we talked about last week a little bit. Critical to your life and my life, of course, the first two parts of knowing the will of God is, forgive me, my voice is starting to go. I've had this cold all week long and uh, Dr. Stroman's taking great care of me, but uh, I'm sensing that my voice is starting to blow out. So I'll be all right, though. But uh, forgive me if it sounds a little weird. In knowing the will of God, you cannot begin to understand the will of God in your life without knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. It is utterly, literally impossible. God wants to speak to His children. And God wants to touch your heart. And so the the first will that God desires of you in knowing The will that God has for you is for you to be a child of His. We started off by saying in John chapter 6 and verse 40, This is the will of my Father, Jesus Christ says, that everyone who beholds the Son, and we we kind of highlighted that word behold, (coughs) the word behold is is in the Greek as, as if you would examine under a microscope. In, in fact, Jesus Christ says, look, examine me. Find out who I am. Really, really make it a, a, an issue in your life to understand who I am. I'm not afraid for you to examine me as closely as you desire. And so he says, for everyone who beholds the Son, and then once you behold Him and see who He is, then you will believe in Him. And then he says, you will have eternal life. This is the will of my Father. Behold me, believe in me, and you will have eternal life. And then he makes this amazing and wonderful a promise, this assurance of our faith. And he says, and I, I myself, Jesus Christ says, I will raise you up on the last day. Secondly, we said last week that we can't be foolish. We really have got to know what the will of God is. The second step in knowing the will of God is perhaps the most critical. Of course, knowing Jesus as your Savior begins this. But without that, the second step must be critical. You and I must be Spirit-filled people. Let's go back to where we all 
started this journey in Ephesians chapter 5. Would you turn with me there, please? And read with me. Actually, it's in, your, it's in the flyer, but I want to read a couple extra verses on it, if I might. In Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 15, he says, Be careful how you walk. And, and you and I know, in this journey we've been going through Ephesians, Paul has been saying to us over and over again, I want you to walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. And over and over again, he's been teaching us how to walk. He says, walk in love. He says, walk in the light. And then he says, walk in wisdom. And that's where we started off. We were just minding our own business. I'll give you that. But we come into this place where he says, be careful how you walk. I don't want you to be unwise. I want you to be wise. I want you to make the most, verse 16, I want you to make the most of your time. The reason being, the days are evil. So then he says in verse 17, Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So he says in verse 18, Don't get drunk with wine, that's dissipation. But rather, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And we saw last week that a Spirit-filled life is simply being saturated with the things of Jesus Christ. To understand who He is is to allow the things of God to just overflow us and saturate our bodies. And, and, and we are saturated with the knowledge of God through the study and the reading of His Word on a daily basis. And that's why we beg of you to get involved. It's not so that we have another program to do. Honestly, it's not. It is for your benefit that we give you the, the, the tools to be saturated with the things of God so that you might be a Spirit-filled being. And we used the idea last week. It was, a, I thought, really clever. It was in the book by John MacArthur talking about this concert violinist And someone came up to her and she said, they said to her, how is it that you became so gifted in playing the violin? What was your, what was your advice if someone wanted to be musically inclined and wanted to get really good at it? And and she used the words planned neglect. Do you remember that last week? We talked a little bit about it. And, and they asked, what did you mean by that? What do you mean planned neglect? And she said, well, I, I, I so wanted to be a concert violinist that I, everything else that was in my life, she says, I just planned it to neglect. I, I, I didn't do. I, I centered my heart and my thoughts and everything about me to be a concert violinist. And when I read that, I thought, of course, of course. I want to be a Spirit-filled man. I want to be a man that walks with God. And so the the, the reply to me was then, John, plan to neglect those things that will take you away from the very essence of being a godly man. Plan to neglect what it is that you do and what it is that you decide not to do so as to be the person of God that God's called you to be. Well, that brings us to the third subject. Would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, please, chapter 4. In your flyer, we have just one verse. But I want you to see about four or five verses here. Let's read, please, 1 Thessalonians. If you're in Ephesians, it's just to the right. You'll go past Philippians and Colossians, and I think you'll come right there to 1 Thessalonians. And look with me at chapter 4, please. And let's read these verses and then pray. 
Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, you abstain from sexual immorality. Verse 4, that each of you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles do who do not know God, that no man transgress or defraud his brother in this manner, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warn you, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So the person who rejects this, Paul writes, is not rejecting man, but the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Father, in all the things that we are as believers in Jesus Christ, once we come to believe and trust in You as our Lord and as our Savior, what we must see the value of being saturated with Your Word, of being Spirit-filled people. And so we just read the third will that is asked of us as believers to come to trust in You for our salvation and to be saturated with the very Word of God so that we might be Spirit-filled people. And now You asked us to be sanctified. Father, for some of us, we don't have a clue what that word means. Let us please understand it before we leave and move on any further. And then, Father, would you please teach us from your word. Open up our eyes and our hearts so that we might behold wonderful things from your law, the Bibles that we hold in our laps. Teach us, dear Father, your word. Move me aside, Father, so that we might not be distracted by human point of view. But let us just concentrate on the things that you say. The things that are of you. May we be faithful as a church to just unfold the wonders of your words and not try to be clever, but just preach, Father, the pure wonders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray you would teach each of us, Father, I pray that when we walk out of here today, we might have the most wonderful, wonderful privilege, and that is knowing what is your will for each and every single one of us, whatever that might be. I pray you'll accomplish this, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The word sanctified is really quite simple. The word sanctified just simply means to be set apart. To be pure. In the Old Testament, when they had uh, instruments or utensils within the Holy of Holies, they called those utensils sanctified. They were set apart. They weren't any different than any other utensil, except that they were set apart. Used for the purpose of holiness. Used for the purpose of uh, being pure. And so, the third... The third will of God is that you and I be sanctified or set apart. Key to Paul's example of of sanctification is seen in in, in verses 5 and verse 8. In verse 5, it says that we're not to be in lustful passion. 
And then he explains, not like the Gentiles. And he's not talking about a race of people. He's talking about a, a group of people who deny the very existence of God. Note that it says, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And then in verse 8, he says, if you reject this teaching, you're not rejecting man's ideas. What you're rejecting is God who has given you the Holy Spirit. And so as we move into this, we are to be sanctified, not to be like an unbeliever. Now, now Paul talks about three very specific sanctifications here, and, and they're practical. They're, they're according to the will of God. Number one, in verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, this is the will of God, your, sanctifi- your sanctification. I want you, he says, to abstain from sexual immorality. Paul warns, stay away from sexual sin. The Bible does not say to you and me, avoid sex. It simply says, stay away from sexual sin. Now listen, I am not a prude. I I know that sex is a glorious thing. And furthermore, God's Word tells you and me that God Himself gave sex to mankind. As we're going to study in Ephesians chapter 5, next week, as a matter of fact, we're going to find out that God, the first thing He put into motion in marriage, when He said, I want you, Adam, to leave your mother and your father. I want you to cleave unto your wife, Adam. The two of you shall become one flesh. Both of you shall be naked and not ashamed. The word, I want you two to become one flesh, was the terms of, of sexual intimacy that they would have with one another. Oh, God's not a prude, not, not at all. He gave sex to mankind for three specific reasons. One, to have children. Two, for the intimacy, the privacy intimacy of, of the love relationship in a marriage. And, and, and thirdly, just for the fun. But you thought that was going to be deep. In fact, one of the first time I ever heard that being lesson taught was when I first got married. I'm sitting in church at Dr. Jack MacArthur. Oh man, I love that guy. Johnny MacArthur's father. It was one of the greatest privileges that God ever gave to me. Kay and I got married in Eugene, Oregon at Dr. Jack MacArthur's church. <laughs> we went, We got married on a Saturday night. We were just so happy. Our family was there. We rushed off, man. We went and on our, started our honeymoon. And the next morning, because we, we didn't have a lot of money and we couldn't get far away, we, we were close by Eugene. And so we got up early in the morning and said, uh, let's go to church. So we went to church and Dr. Jack, Dr. Jack, bless his heart, made fun of us. He said, look who's in church. They just got married. And he says, they're in the back of the church. I felt like, well, that's almost, almost a sin. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I, maybe I should have stayed away. And Dr. Jack MacArthur told this story about this old, old, stodgy guy that was teaching at a seminary. Maybe old, old. Maybe now he's my age. Back then it sounded like he was old, old. <laughs> and the, the young students, you know, were, were pretty feisty, you know. And they thought this guy was pretty much a prude and kind of old-fashioned, you know, and all of that stuff. <laughs> and so one of, the, one of the kids was really kind of brazen, and they all chose, told him to do it. You ask, you ask. And so he was ta- talking about marriage, and he says, what, what's the purpose in the Bible for, for sex? 
They thought they were going to just make this guy just cringe into a little corner. And he said what I said. Oh, he says, it's for children. And it's for intimacy. And it's for fun. (laughs) That's what sex is for. It's the most glorious thing that God can give us. But let me tell you this. God designed sex only, only, may I say this one more time, only in marriage. Sex outside of marriage by single people is called fornication, and that is called a sin. And sex in marriage with another person is called adultery, and that is sin. God designed sex only within the blessings of marriage and nowhere else, period. Case closed. You don't need to talk anymore about it. For anyone to think that they can cheat God and have sex outside of the bonds, the beautiful bonds of marriage, is to believe the devil's lie. And oh boy, is this world trying to legitimize the idea of sex outside of the bonds of marriage. But let me tell you this, it would be absolutely, utterly absurd for you, a person who might be living in sexual sin, to say to God, please, 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 Show me your will. First, we have to abstain from sin. And so, being practical, Paul says, abstain from sexual immorality. Secondly, he says, knowing the will of God is is being able, in verses 4 and 5 of of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, knowing how to control your own body and your own lustful passions. He says, verse 4, Each of you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor, and not, it says, in lustful passion like the Gentiles who, who don't know God. The word vessel there can be translated wife, but it isn't. I believe it's talking about your own body, knowing how to, how to possess your own body, set apart, making it pure and honoring it, and not in lustful passions. Paul is saying, don't act like the rest of the world, basically. Don't act like the Gentiles. And he's not talking about, again, a race of people. He's talking about unbelievers. Because he says they are guided by their passions, their lustful passions, not so with us. i read you uh, what John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but you can look it up later or right now if you'd like to. But I'm going to read through it quite quickly. John writes, for all that is in the world. And he mentions three things that are in the world. He says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. John writes, that is not from the Father. That is from the world You see, the world is trying to teach us a a different set of standards and we can't fall prey to that. We've got to be saturated with the Word of God so we understand the blessings that God wants to pour out upon our lives. I I want you to know something. As a Christian, what Paul is asking for you and me to do, it would be utterly impossible without understanding and living a spirit-filled life being saturated with the things of god 
so that you might, as we're going to learn later on in the book of Ephesians, put on the full armor of God so as to defend ourselves against the schemes of the devil. And so the the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, and that's not from God. That's from this world in which we live, sadly. Which brings us to the third point in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In verses 6, 7, and 8, it tells us purely and simply we're to treat others fairly. In verse 6 it says, Let, let no man transgress or defraud his brother in this manner, because the Lord's the avenger of all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warn you, God's not called us for this purpose of impurity. God's called us, he says in verse 7, for sanctification or to set ourselves apart. And so he says the person in verse 8, now I really do love this verse. The person, he says, who rejects this is not rejecting man. No, the, the person... That, that rejects this teaching, not my teaching, but the teaching of the Word of God, that person is rejecting God who gives us the Holy Spirit. Simply put, Paul finishes saying, don't take advantage of others. He says to do this is not rejecting your fellow man. It, it, it's rejecting God who has told you to treat other people kindly. The one thing that he asks us to be as believers in Jesus Christ is light and salt on this earth in which we live. In Ephesians chapter 4, it was a verse that, that Kay taught all three of us kids, Cassie, John, Mark, and me. It says, it says in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. We are to be a salt and light in this world. And, and so we are to be kind to one another. We're not to defraud or, or transgress against another person. So, after we come to believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're saved. And then we become spirit-filled believers, saturated with the Word of God. And then we become sanctified or, or set apart for His glory, for His sake. We are then, fi- fourthly, to be giving thanks to God in everything. Look at First Thessalonians. I think we're already there, are we not? Look at First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. It says there, In everything give thanks For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I'm wondering, does Paul understand the the trials of this world in which we live? Is he really saying in everything? In everything, Paul, are we to give thanks? Paul says, yes, in everything, give thanks. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Why in everything? I'll try to explain it as simply as possible. You see, Christian, if you and I are living under the will of God, then we are under His care. Therefore, we ought to be thankful for everything that comes our way. For nobody can care for us as God desires to care for us. He is in control of our lives. And so we ought to be thankful for everything that comes our way giving thanks in everything. This is 
God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Now jump further to your right to 1 Peter. You'll go past Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy, Hebrews, and then James, and you will find 1 Peter. So after we give thanks in everything, because God is leading our lives, we are told in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13, 14, and 15, we are submit, we are to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king who is in authority or to governors who are sent by the king for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do right. Listen to verse 15. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you and I, we may silence the ignorance of foolish men. We, thought, we learned last week, who is a fool again? In, in, in Proverbs 14.1 it says, The fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. And so we are to submit ourselves to authority and we are to do what is right so as to silence those who deny the very existence of God. I've already told you we are to be the light and the salt of this earth. We are to be the Bibles walking around that some people will never ever look at. We are to be the church walking around that some people will never ever want to enter into. We ought to represent our God by doing what is right in every situation so as to silence the foolishness of those who are ignorant, ignorant of the things of God. You see, Jesus Christ gave you and me eternal life so that we might be salt and light to this world which is dying and going to hell. And by the grace of God, we might, by His wonderful grace, lead people in the direction of Jesus Christ. Now what kind of submission is Paul talking about here? Or Peter, I should say, excuse me. Peter calls for the, the kind of submission that makes us the best possible citizens in the society in which we live. Why? Simple. Verse 15. Such is the will of God, that by you and me doing what is right, we might put to silence those who are ignorant. The ignorance of fools who say there is no God. How are we going to silence our critics? Well, by living an exemplary life. That's Peter's point. God's will is for us to submit to, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, to show people how to live this life correctly. Now you might be thinking, like I might have been thought, thinking, what if they tell us to do something that, is, that violates the very essence of God, that violates our conscience, that violates the Word of God? Well, then we do not obey but you need to be willing to stand up to that. Let's turn to the last place. I'd, well, not the last place. Let's turn to Acts chapter 4, please. I want you to see two of my heroes, Peter and John. Peter and John are in a community and they are preaching the name of Jesus Christ to everyone that will listen. And thousands of people, if not, it says in there, I think 3,000 people at one time came to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They so upset the people in that community that the religious leaders take them aside and throw them to jail. 
Look at verse 18 of Acts chapter 4. When they had summoned them, that is them meaning Peter and John, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19 is one of the great verses. You know what it is? It reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were told, you cannot, you've got to bow down to our God. And they were going to be thrown into the furnace of fire. And they said, uh, King, we can't do that. Whether it's right in your eyes to do that, that's up to you. But we cannot stop preaching the name. We cannot stop bowing down to our God. He threw them, he threw them into the furnace of fire and they, they were walking around. An amazing story is he, he said, Did we not throw three men into that fiery pit? How come we see four? That's one of those places in Scripture makes me cry every time I read it. Well, here's the same place, same thought, I should say. In verse 18, they summoned them and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And listen to what Peter and John say. They said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. But we cannot stop speaking about what we have heard and what we have seen. The only time you and I are to violate the law of the land is when the law of the land tells us to do what God forbids us to do. And you need to be willing to think about that. Are you willing to go to jail for what you believe in? Are you willing to stand against the scrutiny and those that will come against you because you you are in love with Jesus Christ. You need to count the cost. Some of us will be asked to do that. We need to count the cost. It's really interesting. In both the cases, in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and here with Peter and John, they didn't have to think about their answer. Neither one of them did. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to go into that fiery furnace rather than to deny their God. Whoa. And Peter and John says, whether it's right in the sight of God, you've got to be the judge, not us. We cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. Okay, the will of God. You say, the Bible teaches, we've got to be saved for such is the will of God, your salvation. You say, secondly, we've got to be saturated by the Word of God so that we might be a Spirit-filled person walking this earth. You say we've got to sanctify ourselves or set ourselves apart. You say that we're to give thanks in all things. And you say that we are to do what is right and submit to authority. What then is next? You said that we were going to Find out what we are to do in every situation of our lives. You, you said that we were going to know God's will. And what is God's will for me? <clears throat> turn with me, please, to a place you might want to turn to in your Bible. Psalms 37, verses 4 and 5. Psalm 37, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to wait, if you're turning there, for you to get to it. Psalm, verse... Chapter 37. Psalm, of course, is in the middle of the Old Testament. Psalm 37. 
verse 4, the psalmist says, Delight yourself in the Lord. And what? It says, And He will give you the desires of your heart. Verse 5, Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. Okay, let me give you the final principle of knowing God's will for your life. If you are doing all of the five basic things that God wills we are to do, saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, giving thanks to God in all things, doing what is right and submitting yourself to authority so as to silence the ignorance of foolish men, then the next principle of God's will is do whatever you want. That's it. That's God's will for you and me. We are to do whatever it is that we desire. Because if the five elements that are working within your life, if you are a believer, if you are spirit-filled and sanctified and giving thanks to God in all things and, and doing what is right in every situation so as to silence the critics of God, then God says you can do whatever it is you want to do. He will give you the desire of your heart. Look at If you look again at Psalm 37, verse 4, it tells you who is running your wants and your desires. It is, of course, God. The psalmist says that God does not say He will fulfill all the desires that are in there. It says that when you delight yourselves in Him, He will put the desire in your heart. He is the one that gives you the desire to do what it is you want to do. So go and do it and enjoy Enjoy. Live this life as a believer in Jesus Christ with so much joy that people can't understand you. And let me tell you a little bit about the will of God when you do what is right in His eyes and you do what it is that you want to do. My example is Paul. In the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, Paul wants to be a missionary more than anything else on the face of this earth. And he wants to go and tell people about his Savior. And in the 16th chapter, he heads off in this direction because he is called to this community, he thought. And God stopped him. And so Paul says, oh, we must to go there. And so he heads off in this direction. And the Holy Spirit of God stops Paul. And he says, oh... He must want us there. And so he heads off in that direction and the Spirit of God stops him and he says, Oh, he must want us there. And he goes there and has a marvelous ministry. You see, the place, the people, they aren't at issue. The person who is at issue is yourself. Delight yourselves in the Lord He'll give you the desire of your heart. And sometimes you don't even know it. I will say this once. The most traumatic time in my life came when I had to leave Yorval and the Friends Church. I won't tell you any more than that, except that it was worse than the death of my father. And I thought my world had come to an end. And so I tried with all of my heart to walk through that valley with God on my side And I now stand before you in this church, and I wouldn't trade you for anyone. I love this place.
I love you with all my heart. Delight yourselves in the Lord. He'll give you the desire of your heart. I thought the desire of my heart was there. And I poured my life into that place. And God says, no, it's here. This is where you are to be. And I thank God for that more than you'll ever know. I love you with all my heart. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I didn't mean that for that reason. I'm just trying best I know how to give you a visual. The key to knowing the will of God is being saturated by the things of God. He will give you the desire of your heart. I promise you that's a truth. Father, make it a reality to each and every person here who's seeking your will. Let them know that salvation is, is key. But after salvation, Father, we've got to become spirit-filled people. We need to be saturated with the things of God. And then, Father, we need to set ourselves apart, making ourselves pure and holy, sanctified people. And then, Father, whatever happens in our lives, we are to give thanks because you're in control. And then, Father, we are also to submit. We are to submit and do what is right in every situation so as to silence the ignorance of fools who say there is no God. And when we do these things, Father, then whatever it is upon our heart, we should do and do with joy, knowing that it is you who has put that desire in us. And so we are to enjoy what lies before us because it is you, Father, who has given us the desires that are in our hearts. Bless these people, Father. I love this church, and I thank you for every single person. I do, Father, I do, I do. I love them, Father, I love them, I love them. Bless them. Bless us all. So, Father, we want to thank you now as we went through this journey of knowing your will. May we live our lives with anticipation that we can delight in the things that we do, knowing that it's come from you. And we thank you, Father, for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you so much. God bless you. Have a great day. I'll see you next week. We're going to do the family series next week. It's going to be so much fun. You'll see. We'll have a good time.